As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Podcast on the Athletic Network. It's Wednesday, July 7th. Jay Skeets rolling with the homie, Tass Mellis. What's up, everybody? Got my top shot hot boy, Trey Kirby. Hey yo! Hey yo! The international man of mystery taking it to the max, Lee Ellis. Friends. Friends. Finally making the magic happen. It's JD. Hello. There he is. Here we are. Shout out to the stream team joining us live right now on YouTube. We see you. Please smash that like button. Leave your comments below the video. And if you haven't already, subscribe to No Dunks on YouTube. Keep sending in your questions and comments for the next Beach Steppin' podcast. Email them in. Best way to do it. No Dunks at theathletic.com. And finally, go grab your No Dunks merch over at nodunks.com. All right. Right into it here. We got the up-down report a little bit later, but NBA Finals Game 1 recap. That's what we're doing. CP3 carries the Suns. Pass Giannis. Yes, he's back, baby. And the Bucks. In the NBA Finals opener, Tass, get us started. What was the big takeaway from that Game 1 Phoenix Suns victory? First thing to take away is that basketball is freaking amazing. Uh, second thing to take away is that if the Bucks didn't have Giannis Tetacupo in this series, it would have been a quick win for the Phoenix Suns. And it was great to see Giannis back. Looking freaking great. Uh, so the Suns got to feel good about winning game one. But at the same time, uh, the fact that Giannis came in there and looked pretty freaking normal after hyperextending his knee, uh, we all saw that incredible block that everybody started comparing to LeBron's chase down block in game seven of the Warriors finals. Uh, what was more impressive to me was the way he looked like the strongest, toughest player on the floor at times pushing the Suns biggest player DeAndre Ayton away uh, from the hoop in that first half when he had that push off get off me two-hand jam uh, they won the minutes that Yanis Tetacumpo was on the floor surprisingly the Milwaukee Bucks did so that is a great sign the bad thing is they're gonna expect more from him 
Uh, so the fact that Mike Boonholzer played him only 35 minutes uh, is good, I think, for the Bucks that they can play him more. He looks great. Again, they won those minutes, and they can go to him a heck of a lot more. He ended up with only 11 shots, uh, even though he had 20 and 17 and went to the free throw line a bunch, but he looks good. He feels good. Zero air balls from the free throw line. Uh, <laughs> actually quickening the pace. At times, the Suns fans, who were counting way too fast, couldn't even get to 10. That was uh, impressive. That was impressive. MVP being able to shoot a free throw under 10 seconds. <laughs> Huge. Uh, but the fact that he was pushing off uh, DeAndre Ayton, he played 35 minutes. He had to play at the center spot uh, in the fifth quarter. He had to do a lot. So uh, we can get to the nitty gritty. But you start with Giannis. That was great. And, and then the fact that uh, the Bucks were... Willing to adapt, Mike Boonholzer tried a bunch of defenses on the pick and roll, which we'll get into. The Bucks absolutely stink at game once. They lost their last one against the Hawks and Trey Young. They, uh, they, they definitely adjusted in game two. They lost the one to the Brooklyn Nets in the series before that. Even against the Miami Heat, they won in overtime. So uh, they've only won one game one so far this series. The Suns got a bit of the whistle, free throw discrepancy in this one, and the Bucks missed a bunch of... Uh, paint shots in the first half that we would have been talking about this game a lot differently if they hit a bunch of those layups. So start there. Uh, obviously, the Suns deeper, stronger, better, uh, but a really good start that Yanis came in there and looked pretty freaking normal. Yeah. I guess all those Twitter doctors were wrong, saying that the hyperextended knee could keep him out for a long period of time. I guess they they provided themselves with an out when they said could keep him out a long period of time, but uh, he's back and uh, I think you just got to go to him more. It's the finals. He's got no, no choice. They got to go to him more. He is their best player. They're, they're obviously the, the less deep team, but uh, a, a good start. Anyways, I think for the bucks, I, I know they don't get the W, but who cares? Uh, at the same time, game twos, like Steve Kerr always says, is the game to steal. So I think uh, that's what they got looking forward to Thursday. Yeah, Tass sounding very high on the Milwaukee Bucks despite the loss. And you're right. I mean, Giannis with that spring to his step and what? They threw him a lob in the first 15 seconds, right? And you're like, oh, okay, maybe he is okay. And yeah, 2017-4, good, good game. Not great game, but good game for a guy that we thought maybe out for the rest of the damn season. But the Suns get the victory and sort of carved the Bucks up there, TK. And it really is the question everybody's asking here after game one. It's like, what defense do you play against this team? Like, what is Budenholzer to do? Is it go small? I mean, it worked a little bit there, I go guess. Go small with Giannis. You're telling uh, me go small, Skeets? Well, <laughs> you want to see more Pat Connaughton? You want to see more Bryn Forbes? I do not think going small is the answer. Shocker. Honestly, I think the answer is going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo guarding DeAndre Ayton. I think uh, that should be this change that the Bucks make uh, heading into game two here. And I think Brooke Lopez should stay on the court, and I think he should guard Jay Crowder. Make Jay Crowder beat you. If uh, the if uh, the Suns want to get Brooke Lopez involved in actions, then they're bringing Jay Crowder into actions. I don't think that's a problem uh, for a Bucks team that's really good at defense. And, you know, then if it's Giannis... Or, uh, sorry, if they want to get Aiton involved in the pick-and-roll game, then you're bringing Giannis into the play. I think that that's an easy change to make because, to me, play and drop is just asking to get beat by Chris Paul and Devin Booker. You're playing into the Suns' strengths. We saw it last night. Uh, once uh, once the Bucks stopped switching, after they were getting torched switching, uh, they had to go to the drop coverage, and that's when Chris Paul really heated up in the third quarter. Also, you can't play uh, Bobby Portis 
and Brooke Lopez at the same time. Simply impossible. Crazy stuff from Bud, but game one, Bud. You know it's going to come out, something crazy. But uh, it was embarrassing for the Bucks to see uh, Lopez and Portis just get brought up every single time. Hey, come up here. Come up here. We'll give you a quick bucket here. Brooke Lopez slid under Chris Paul for the Zaza at one point. It was just mm-hmm. bad. I don't think that the Bucks were going to be able to beat the Suns uh, in game one last night. No matter how they played defense, they tried everything. They tried switching. No luck. They tried drop. No luck. Just got to be a little bit more aggressive at the point of attack, I think. Chris Paul has to be guarded by Drew Holiday. Drew has to get over every single screen, and he's got to be going into Giannis because that's a little bit scarier than going into Brooke Lopez hanging out at the 15-foot mark. That's an easy jumper for anybody on the sun. So, I don't know. I think the Bucs can just be a little bit more aggressive. That, to me, seems to be the adjustment they make heading into these game twos. You know, uh, uh, against the Nets, it was P.J. Tucker just starts fouling Kevin Durant every time up the court. Not going to call it every time. Drew Holiday picked it up against Trey Young in game two against the Hawks. Started fouling him every time up and down the court. They're not going to call it every time. You can get away with it in the playoffs. Get a little bit more physical out there. It looked like the Bucks were just kind of going along with whatever the Suns wanted to do. They've got to be the aggressors if they want to win. Yeah, Chris Paul really dissected the Bucks there in that third quarter. He made six of his seven shots. Uh, 14 of the 16, I believe, came... Basically, just after the most simplest switch you could ever imagine, just Chris Paul saying, no, I'm going to take Brooke Lopez on me now, or I'm going to take Bobby Portis on me now. And uh, yeah, they're going to have to switch up that. But what did you see, or what did the Bucks do? I mean, do you agree with Trey? You say, no, 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 don't don't panic yet. You know, this has happened to you before. We just saw it in game one of the last series. Trey Young went for 48, and you didn't, you know, Brooke Lopez got taken out of that game in game one back in the mm-hmm. last round. You know, they, they were like had to go away from it. Sort of happened here. They went small with Giannis at the five. But eventually, as the series went on, and yes, Trey got hurt, and that was a big part of it, but Brooke found a way to contribute. So do you do that and say, no, we can make this work with him out there. We have to make it work with him out there. Or is it Giannis at the five, which did work a little bit in the second half. They hit some threes, of course, when it was happening. But as Shu pointed out and Trey brought it up, it's like now you have Connaughton or Forbes they got to be out there in the small ball lineups, basically, and the Suns will just target those guys. So what do you do if you're Coach Bud here as you head into Game 2? Well, when Chris Paul decides to get those switches, uh, it almost doesn't matter if he gets them or not anyway because is Chris Middleton going to be able to stop him when he gets into the paint like that? It doesn't It doesn't really matter. But when Bobby Portis came out, and he came out a couple of times so deep, Chris Paul's like, okay, well, I'm just walking inside here. So uh, it's tough because you need Giannis to guard Chris Paul. You need Giannis to guard Aiton. You need Giannis to guard Bridges. You need Giannis to guard Devin Booker, really. I mean, that's the thing. He's their longest, most athletic, most versatile defender. But if those other guys aren't able to do it, they'll just leave so much work there for uh, Giannis to do. So this was uh, a pretty impressive performance here from Chris Paul. I think that's the thing we just maybe don't need to overlook that in that third quarter. It was winning time and he just took full advantage of whatever the Bucs gave him. So um, I I do think you need to keep Brook Lopez out there for longer. Now, he tried it in game one by sitting him and it didn't really work. So at least he's figured that out. I think Budenholzer going forward that Lopez needs to be effective and they can't afford to play such a small lineup with with Giannis at the five there and then you've got Bobby and as you guys are saying with Bryn and, and Pat Connaughton that's just not going to stop uh, the Phoenix Suns at all and and if the Suns going to play DeAndre Ayton out there they can't have a small body out there on him they need to have someone and if that's Giannis defending him okay fine but then those other guys have to make sure they don't get cooked by their opponents as well um, it's tough but it's also just game one you know it was game one and, and the Suns came in and I think you could also tell from that, that game last night the rest advantage the Suns had. I think they just looked healthier. They looked fresher. 
and and for the Bucks, they just seem to be a little bit slower. And a lot of those shots that were close, you know, they just seem to just sort of drop out. So um, it wasn't a disaster for Milwaukee here. I think they they played an okay game. They've certainly got things to work on. But uh, you know, the, the biggest question is, of course, how do you how do you basically get the ball out of Chris Paul's hands? Do you double him? Do you trap him to try to do it right. and hope that it's you know don't bring Devin Booker's man off him because you know he's going to shoot the ball okay? Maybe you live with whoever's on Jay Crowder to come out and trap him because uh, really. Jay Crowder had one of his nights last night. He went 0 for 8 from the field, 0 for 5 from downtown. We know he's a very, very streaky um, shooter at the best of times anyway. But that's maybe the better strategy. Is like, let, let's have, as Trey sort of alluded to there, let's make it that Jay Crowder is the one who's getting these shots and getting these looks because sure. Chris Paul is not going to miss many of those mid-rangers. He's just too good at that. And, uh, and I think, you know, anyone one-on-one, that's what I was saying at the start, anyone who he goes one-on-one with, Chris Paul has got the advantage because he's so good. So uh, that, that's going to be the change, I think, for Budenholzer is like, it's got to be someone other than Chris Paul or Devin Booker. I mean, Devin Booker didn't shoot well from three last night, but that doesn't really matter because he was so effective everywhere else. He got to the free throw line, and uh, he just looks comfortable in the mid-range game as well. So uh, some, some tough questions for Budenholzer and uh, not easy answers because, you know, the Suns move that ball really well as well. And uh, guys are ready to shoot. Cam Johnson played well last night. I thought Bridges played well as well. They, they understand that if the ball's moving around, their job is to knock down the open shots. Yeah, what went bad for the Suns in game one? I mean, Jay Crowder was bad Jay Crowder. What well, else? in terms of shooting the ball. I guess but he's going down with an injury. I mean, yeah. that was bad. Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I, I mean, Crowder, you know, have finished with nine rebounds and he finished a plus 19. Yeah. You can take that any way you want. But I didn't think he was actually, you know, harmful for his team out there. No, I just no, thought I he just couldn't hit those shots. Yeah, yeah. And, do you, and they couldn't hit a lot of threes, I guess, would be the third thing. It'd be Crowder not hitting a shot. They weren't that great from three-point land. They could get better, of course, and then the Saric injury. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, and, like, Tass got this started. Like, okay, it's just game one. Let's not overreact if you're a Milwaukee fan or, or even just a fan of this series going longer. Though the Suns, my God, like, they can play better is the problem. Uh, Booker's not going to probably shoot. What did he shoot from three? Did he even hit one? Was he one, one for, for eight or one something? One for eight, like I think he finished Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's, you know, unlikely again. Uh, and I thought he was awesome, like you said, Lee. Like, his playmaking is, like, leaps and bounds better than it was, like, just a couple of years ago. This guy, he just did not have that in his arsenal. And maybe it's because he wasn't playing with players that he felt comfortable to pass it to, and that's a big part. I thought, I thought he was great. Not um, a big Dragon Bender guys. fan, Skeetsy? No, I hate Dragon Bender, actually. Uh, once had him on the show. Somebody told me he was a Friends <laughs> fan. Turned out that was a lie. He no, he just has friends that he likes. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, um, right. But, yeah, no, it's, uh, it, I guess... It's funny to hear everyone talk about this through. Like, it's like, okay, this could still be a series. But at the same time, I mean, you're just like, oh, my God. Like, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, they're sort of just the worst-case scenario against this Bucks team. Defend, like, for what to figure out what to do defensively. But I'm with you, starting with Drew Holiday. Ha- he can I be think better. has to just play Chris Paul at this point. I think you have to. And he's got to fight through everything, and it's going to be hell. But try and blow up these plays a little bit and make it not so easy for Chris Paul to dissect them, Tess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The thing is, going back to, to the Hawks series, Trey Young lit up the Bucks for 48 in game one. The Bucks came back in game two and were far more aggressive, just chasing him around. Drew was far more aggressive, yeah. uh, hunting him down from behind. Brooke was far more aggressive getting up there. The thing is, the Suns got two of those guys. Uh, yep, so that, that's the difference here. Yeah. You could just give it to to either one of those guys. But, the, you know, the, the Bucks really tried uh, to switch this up from the beginning. Boonholzer's got to get a little bit of credit. They started uh, with Tucker uh, on, uh, on Chris Paul so they could get the switch going and 
Tucker on Aiton as soon as soon as Aiton would come for the the screen setting, uh, so he would be behind. So they, they, that wasn't that wasn't pretty to start, no doubt. Uh, they, at least they were trying something. But yeah, there, there's a, a lot of other adjustments to make, and that put Drew on Chris Paul. Now I think he kind of let Chris Paul go at the beginning of games into that mid range. He didn't hit a shot in the first quarter because he wants to get everybody involved. I think you do play a little drop in the first quarter just to to mess things up. But I think. I think you got to be able to just do those those uh, switches of defense a little bit more on the fly. You know, don't go quarter by quarter. I think that, you know there was multiple uh, defensive schemes that they threw at the the Suns, but it was just a little too slow. Uh, I think you know they they started obviously switching. Uh, then the second quarter, we decided, all right, let's drop this thing into the third quarter. Then let's go small into the in the fourth quarter. I mean, I think they just have to. Just try and mess with Chris Paul a little bit from possession to possession. There was one possession Drew did fight after a, a timeout. He did fight over, and he was there. And, and then they switched really late, and it was a beautiful thing. Then the next uh, play, uh, the Suns adjust. Uh, they adapt, and they run a double screen. Gorgeous stuff from Monty Williams. I mean, it's it's, a, it's some nice some nice chess maneuvers, uh, but I think you, you do put Drew there uh, to stop Chris Paul. Um, I mean, it, it, it really is... Uh, it's tough. It's tough. It's pick your poison uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. But again, I think if uh, they hit some frickin' layups in there, Brooke Lopez had five offensive rebounds uh, early in this game, couldn't get a putback. Chris Middleton missed one inside. Drew Holiday has to be better. He missed one inside. Uh, if they hit a little, uh, a few of those, uh, a few of those little shots inside we're talking about a different game and we're we're witnessing what i'm getting out here with the brooke lopez offensive rebounds the bigger team is the is the milwaukee bucks they should be able uh to score some of those inside so they showed their size they showed that they can bang inside that they can get offensive rebound uh, but yeah like lee said then they decided not to get back in fast break situations uh they i don't know they're kind of down on themselves or something but instead of being a six or eight point game this should have been a lot closer uh throughout the first half and then we're talking about a different scenario uh, but yeah Brookie is slowy no doubt uh, but as soon as they play a little bit harder uh, I think things change a little bit like game two uh, of that Hawk series but again it's tough with the Suns team I mean they, they've got so many weapons but yeah I, making Crowder and Mikel Bridges beat you a little bit more Helps, but then you got a guy like Cam Johnson who comes off the bench. I don't think he's ever missed a shot. I mean, they are the deeper team. They've got the best player off the bench in this series in campaign. They probably got the second best player off the bench in this series in Cam Johnson over Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton. So you got to expect more from Giannis Antetokounmpo, which is a lot. You're asking him to do a freaking lot, a ton in this series. But uh, the Bucks are a top-heavy team right now. They need him a lot. Yeah, it would be awesome if Giannis could draw a bunch of fouls because I think he's got a little bit more to give in the tank as well for game two. Like you're saying, Tass, only 11 shots. He played 35 minutes, but we saw with uh, the post up on Aiton where he puts him in the basket and then dunks on him. That was awesome. The chase down block, that was incredible. We're seeing the explosion there, but he also was coming back after, you know, a week off of basketball, hopefully in game two. He's able to, you know, be the attacking Giannis that we're used to, put some pressure on the rim, because I felt like uh, he left a lot of points on the board specifically in transition. Like, it looked like Giannis had 
maybe a three on three. He's got the ball at half court. He's bringing it up, but probably doesn't trust his uh, leg yet quite enough to attack the basket like we're used to Giannis doing, Euro stepping and getting to the hoop. So I think he can be better. And I think if he gets some fouls on DeAndre Ayton, then the Suns are going to be in trouble uh, with uh, with Saric going Saric down last yeah. night. I don't think uh, yeah. we're going to be seeing a whole bunch of Frank Kaminsky <laughs> uh, for the Suns because that was a... Um, a dreadful experience for yeah. us Lyle, Illinois fans out there. But uh, that would be huge. Doing anything to kind of stop Aiton. Giannis just needs to be better. Drew Holiday needs to be better. They need to play like it's the NBA Finals. Drew, I don't know, man. When Giannis is on the court, he doesn't feel like he knows where to go sometimes. It feels like <laughs> there's just too many people in the way for him to be aggressive going to the hoop. It feels like Drew Holiday's best games come when Giannis is on the bench. But they need both of them if they're going to win this series. He, yeah, uh, one, one, he, he, one thing he about Aiton yeah. real quickly. We keep saying like, uh, and it's right, like try and get him in foul trouble, try and get him in foul trouble, try and get him in foul trouble. <laughs> he doesn't get in foul trouble. He's never even had five fouls in the entire playoffs. It's amazing. He's good. Like he's really, really, of course, impressed us and a lot of people, I think, just how incredible he's been on both ends. I thought he was he was a monster last night. And I know we'll get to uh, Chris Paul stealing something from Big Aiton there uh, in this game, but... His screening and his roll and his slips, his cuts. I mean, he had that second quarter where he just ran up, like ran the floor, looking like young David Robinson, just beating everybody down there. Easy layup. He had a jump hook over Tucker where he's like too small. Like he's just been awesome all postseason. And again, we keep saying like, we'll get him in foul trouble, but he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. He, I, he just doesn't. He hasn't even had five fouls this entire postseason in one game, let alone foul out at six. So I think you know, easier said than done, I guess, at this point yeah. with him because he's. He's smart. He's he doesn't he doesn't do a lot of like just swiping and hacking. He's like sometimes you know it's smarter to give it up here if you have to. Yeah, he's got a pretty high basketball IQ for a young guy because on the yeah. offensive end he doesn't seem to take shots that aren't really in his range or aren't part of his game. So so he's really worked hard on both ends there. But speaking of the fouls, I think Chris Middleton probably has a case last night that he got a pretty tough whistle out there. He had zero free throw attempts, and uh, there was a plenty of times I thought that he had a legit case that he could have at least been to the free throw line. So that also could be something going forward because I'm sure the Bucks will make mention of that to, uh, in, you know, over the next day or so that they didn't really seem to get a lot of those uh, friendly whistles. And uh, maybe the Suns did, uh, uh, you know, home court, you know, for game one, all that sort of stuff. But I didn't think Chris Middleton was bad last night. I thought he played well. I thought he was aggressive. But sometimes, again, when those shots don't drop, they sort of just, there's a bit of a lid on the basket and you don't get the free throws. It sort of makes it uh, a little bit harder as well to get scores because they didn't get any of those easy baskets out there so uh that's also something to watch going forward because you know the other point i was going to make as well just then was drew holiday at times looks extremely casual out there in the way that he passes the ball and the way that he just sort of handles the ball because phoenix is a fantastic team at really taking care of the basketball protecting that basketball i think it starts with chris paul who's an incredible uh ball handler and i think the other suns players you know sort of feed off that Whereas the Bucks, a couple of times, like Drew Holiday lost one. Uh, I can't remember who stole it off him. And they went down. It was a crucial part of the game in that fourth quarter. And it was like, that was not playoff basketball intensity from Drew Holiday sort of keeping control of the ball out there. So, And he does take a couple of uh, shots that sort of almost seem lazy bailout shots as well. So he needs to focus a little bit more because he's so important to what they do at both ends of the floor. But if you're going to be... Um, you know, just cruising along and strolling out there, that's not not, not, not going to help the Bucks. So uh, I, I would like to see that adjustment from him in game two is just a lot more intense and a lot more focus. 
What is it, a happy hour, Drew Holiday? St. Casual time, man. Pick it up. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, the Drew Holiday thing is uh, is always a conundrum. He is. He's the biggest question mark in the game for the Milwaukee Bucks. But but as Trey said, he sometimes he doesn't know where he's going with Giannis on the floor. He looked you know, great towards the end of this Hawk series without Giannis on there. The good thing is, even though I think you know, Giannis should play as many minutes as possible, you know Bud is going to sit Giannis. And so there is time. Six minutes into the game, but it's like clockwork. Giannis sits down. Drew Holiday, it's your time to shine. Uh, he's, he's definitely got to be you know, decent. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's just got to be, you know, he's setting guys up and he's, uh, yeah, I think I think we'll see a different Drew in game two, uh, defensively and offensively. Just just gotta be that guy uh, if they're gonna win this thing. If they're gonna if they're gonna fight uh, because they can't get outplayed in the backcourt like that. Middleton definitely picked it up in the second half. When, when he gets going, it's a thing of beauty for to watch him score his twenty nine. It's like it's like a quiet twenty nine. You know, he's just he just keeps doing his thing. So if he's gonna score and Yai's gonna perform. But they're not a deep team. Yeah, they need they need Drew to, to show. Yeah, they need Drew what we saw in, you know, game five and six of the last series for sure. And and even turning it on super late in game seven against the Nets. Uh, remember, he was garbage all game and then suddenly caught fire. You're right. I mean, you can't have 10 points. You can't be four or 14. And yeah, just like have no sort of impact at all as the lead guy, as the point guard on that team. It, it was a bad, bad Drew Holiday game for uh, for the Bucks. unfortunately. Was there any un- unheralded stars in this one? We obviously talking about all the stars on both sides, but like... Is it one of the cams to you, Trey? Is it it's somebody else on the Suns that uh, impressed you and maybe more of a limited role? Yeah, Lee touched on it quickly. Cam Johnson was great last night. Ten points, two steals, two assists, two three-pointers, three rebounds. He ripped Giannis in the fourth quarter. It was yeah. impressive. Um, and as we're seeing, you know, we're getting into game two here, and we're already like, I don't know if you're going to be able to play Bobby Portis. Don't know if you're going to be able to play Pat Connaughton. For the Suns, it's just Frank Kaminsky. Like, that guy's not going to get any time, but he probably wouldn't have got any time if Saric doesn't go down last night. Meanwhile, it feels like everybody on the Suns that runs out there is going to contribute, but uh, except for the Clippers, usually role players play better at home, so I think it's encouraging (laughs) if you're the Suns that one of your young guys who's playing in his first finals game, I guess not that young, him and Giannis are almost the same age, even though it's only year two for Cam Johnson, Uh, but to show up and to hit the shots that you need, it was clutch stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're getting four three-pointers off of your bench there in a game where you can't hit many to begin with from the two cams both splashing two and then Torrey Craig uh gave him what his his normal like 14 or 15 minutes and then there was the uh Frank Kaminsky Frank Kaminsky minutes that uh, I mean he didn't do anything you actually look at the box score he literally did nothing he has the offers there uh but yeah the, the Dario Sarge we'll see like it, eight times I think yeah in yeah one minute. <laughs> he, and somehow ends uh the plus minus is zero somehow but uh very weird I don't think we'll see a lot of them and they might they might be forced to uh when Aiden has to sit at some point though Aiden's what 22 years old yeah, exactly. Doesn't foul like we said. I yeah. mean, if anyone's going to be able to play heavy, heavy minutes, yeah. uh, you would think someone like that, the athletic freak that he is, um, that he can play those heavy minutes. Yeah. Maybe he tires out as the series goes on, but I sort of doubt it. You, you can play him 38, 39 minutes a game. No problem there, Lili. Uh, any other unheralded stars? or sort of named them all, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I just think, uh, again, campaign, you saw his pace. He gets out there and he really pushes that ball. He hit a couple of threes, but he's also penetrating as well, getting inside. So he, he does mix up that game, and I just think that energy boost that he gives him off the bench, the Bucks don't have anyone to sort of counter that. I mean, Jeff T came out, hit a three, was feeling good, and then he fell over on the next play. Uh, but that's, that's the sort of difference we were talking about yesterday is that the Suns bench players can really come out and just sort of 
just boost that team, keep them going. Whereas I feel with the Bucks, again with Bryn Forbes and Teague, Budenholz is almost just hanging on a little bit. You know, he's trying yeah. to sort of buy some time rather than Monty Williams, I think, can feel confident that those guys are really going to sort of continue to play and continue the flow that they get from their starting lineup. So that is going to also be something to watch going forward because, yeah, Budenholzer may have to make this a very tight uh, rotation here. It only goes sort of six or seven deep. And even those guys who do come out, if they're not performing... They won't be out there for very long. So, But that's fine. It's a finals. I mean, that you play your five best players as much as you can. Uh, I mean, if that's what it takes to win, that's fine. It's just, uh, you know, those sorts of things can potentially catch up to you in a deeper series if it goes longer because, um, again, you know, Monty, I think, can just trust his bench a little more than Budenholzer can right now. Yeah, no doubt. One, one scary thing I'll, I'll mention, yeah, watching Bobby Portis out there on the perimeter – Ugh, guarding Chris Paul. I mean, this is this is not his forte. What are we doing here? What are we playing? This is, what are we running there? It, like, what, it's like a dance out there that Bobby Portis is trying to poke Chris Paul on the perimeter. That was that was gross. Uh, but, I, you know, at the on the other end, uh, the Suns uh, campaign, yeah, coming in, you don't get a break if you're the Bucks. You know, Chris Paul, Dem Booker, uh, one of them goes to the bench and then campaign comes in and uh, he's banging home threes. We got a heat check from campaign in the NBA Finals, that was amazing. That was amazing. Uh, yeah, the the Suns are are so so good. Let me let me say one random thing about Frank Kaminsky. Apparently, the Bucks had a viewing party in Pfizer Forum, and when he came into the game, huge cheers. Uh, I was told by uh, you know Frank Madden uh, and Kane Pittman of the Lockdown Podcast because yeah, he's he's a Lyle Illinois boy, uh, but that's not right. He took the bad, he took the University of Wisconsin Badgers to the national championship game, national player of the year. So they love him. This is a tough spot for Sun or for Bucks fans. Are they going to cheer against Frank Kaminsky? Not a chance. Man, they know who Frank Kaminsky is. That's great. Yeah, That's they great. do. And we may not see him for the rest of the series. So I'm glad they got excited when he came in. Uh, any other random notes from Game One? Trey, I alluded to the. Uh, to the oh. oh the beef thief yeah the beef thief yeah <laughs> yeah monster game for DeAndre Ayton could have been a legendary game were it not for Chris Paul twenty two points and nineteen rebounds should have been twenty rebounds though because look what happens on this very last possession I think it's Bryn Forbes gets a desperation three up. Aiden has the rebound until Chris Paul rips it out of his hands. Look at his reaction right away. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I also love Devin Booker. What are you <laughs> doing, man? Well, my favorite part about this whole thing, immediately after the buzzer sounds, Chris Paul goes to the scorer's table trying to convince him yeah. that DeAndre Aiden should get that 20th rebound. Hey, give it to him. Give it to him. It was a control tip. It was a control tip. It was just yeah. me trying to do it. I also love here at the end, uh, Booker comes in. He sees Aiden. He's like, hey, man, he just stole your rebound, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Even post-game, uh, DeAndre Ayton said, definitely, Chris Paul stole my rebound, but very funny. Too bad, though, because this would have been uh, the first 2020 game in the NBA Finals since Shaquille O'Neal wow. in 2004. Since 1986, it's only Shaq and Tim Duncan that have put up 2020 games in the NBA Finals. Chris Paul, man. I know you like to secure the game. Let the big guys get the rebound, buddy. Oh, man. <laughs> Stealing rebounds? Come on. Aiden, oh, man. So you, do you think, like, I don't know, J.D., if you could play that first part again. You think you think Chris Paul, like, taps it out of Aiden's hands? Because I thought Aiden would have dropped hey, it. Okay. Aiden's got some it of the, right, right there. there. He's got it left hand for sure. He's going to get some it. Some of the beefs yeah. we've watched, there's no question that Aiden would have gotten a credit for the rebound anyway. You know, sometimes yeah. you just see yeah. a guy touch it. And it's it's like, yep, he, the first touch is almost... 
the guy who gets the rebound. So uh, I'm a little surprised. Giannis was also flirting with the beef. We almost double beefed yeah. out there. Wow, what a start. What a start. Double beef in game one yeah. of the finals. Uh, no wedgie, uh, unfortunately. That's okay, though. Uh, no. Still got time. Hey, Lee, you got Brooke Lopez winning the jump ball after a rejump. Yeah. <laughs> you got that part right. Yeah. What about the Phoenix Suns, though? They set a record shooting 24 consecutive free throws they make. They're going to go 26 for 26. Jay Crowder with 24 seconds to go. It just bops out there. They would have been 26 for 26 at the free throw line. Practice your free throws, kids. Oh, man. How important? I mean, what the game margin was around, what was it, 11, 12 points? Oh, no, it was more than that. It was 13 in the end. And the free throw advantage uh, was uh, 16 there to uh, Phoenix because they made them. I mean, I mentioned a little bit earlier. They only got 16 free throws themselves, the Bucks. I think... uh, I think they were a little bit stiff last night with some of those calls. But still, Phoenix got there and they knocked them in. And that's what's uh, important. Yeah, it got to be, a, what, a seven-point game yeah. there in the fourth quarter. It was like, well, okay, this, this is not over after, you know, you're watching the game. You're like, Phoenix has been in control this whole damn thing. And then you're like, oh, Bucks hit a couple threes in the fourth. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a three-possession game here. But then they, they turned it on. I think they finished on a 17-11 to 11, uh, close there to the fourth quarter. They just they were the much better team and, and deservedly win game one. And, man, keep showing the Suns in four bros now yeah. over there on the side going crazy with their long locks. Oh, man, every crowd shot in Phoenix this postseason has been... It's been amazing, the people that are going to watch these games. Apparently, it was frantic energy in that building, and uh, and alcohol, Elvino did flow, apparently, too, people were saying. <laughs> it was a party, and why not? Haven't had a game one, haven't had a finals game in a long time, Tass. Yeah, it was cool. I didn't mind those uh, those cameras on those bros. They were giving it every time. Uh, they were feeling it. No alcohol in the shot. No, no, no drinking at all. They are just, yeah, they're up. I mean, if you're behind yeah. those dudes, you can't sit down. Uh, you also have to be up and ready to go. I mean, it was loud. Even Breen was saying, like, early in the game, like, you can barely hear the whistle. Yeah. There's a couple plays. There's yeah. a play where, like, Booker, he missed, and then he got the offensive rebound that he thought he got, and he flexed because he was, like, doing work inside. But it was like the play had been called dead. He even called, yeah. like, a foul had been called. And it was like, oh, he probably couldn't even hear it because that crowd was <laughs> hyped. And then, you know, we got the Deer District up in Milwaukee. They had a bunch of people in their arena. Like, the crowds are going to be awesome in this. I mean, Maybe it's because we didn't have crowds last year in the finals with the bubble, but both just rabid fan bases, uh, which makes for an awesome viewing experience for sure at home. Um, any other random notes, Lee, that do you want to add to this? Nah, your the, eye? The, the free throws, man. I was sitting there just free like, throws. they're going to be perfect. <laughs> no. I think that happened in a game against uh, maybe the Jazz as well. They were like 19 for 19, and it was like 20 seconds to go. And cra- I think... I, I'm going to check that out. I think it was Crowder as well who missed one then. They could have stayed perfect for the night. Oh, my God. (laughs) Stop messing with those free throws, JC. Uh, Bullseye tip, Trey, very close to your, uh, I think you you had 909. Is that what you were going with? It was pretty close. Man, that that final commercial break went forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was feeling good. It was 907. I was like, ooh, here we go. We might be looking good. But no, we had a little little pause to build the anticipation. Oh, my God. What did we end up starting at, 935? Uh, it was it was nine eleven or nine twelve. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I I went with nine eleven because we're on a bit of a delay when we're watching on TV, and it just clicked over to nine twelve for me here. I actually had the official <laughs> clock up on the old browser, and I was like, ah, it's probably nine eleven when mm-hmm. they tipped that thing. Six eleven there, West Coast time. <laughs> Not too bad, you know. That's it, all right with for a nine o'clock start. We can't we can't start fifteen twenty minutes in. These, these things go pretty late. 
Well, your clock sponsored by Tiso or yeah. what? Got the official. <laughs> uh, I hate. I the. I felt like the breaks were taking a long time, and I actually hated myself in the first break. I was like, "This is nice." I'm reading all these comments. Uh, I thought I thought Twitter was was flowing. Like you know, take your time. I'm like, I hated myself though. You know, I'd rather watch basketball than read Twitter. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe I was just in a good mood. Hearing yeah. fans again compared to last year was something else. And, and yeah, the, I, I literally had to to rewind multiple times because I didn't hear a whistle. Mm. It's like, who is it called on? Which ref is is calling it from across the floor? Uh, but uh, yeah. Kudos to the Suns fans. They were, they were awesome. Both both uh, arenas, I think, will be uh, popping in this series. Final question here before we take a break, Trey. Finals MVP rankings after one game, uh, one two three. How would you have it on your ballot right now after uh, forty eight minutes of action? I'm going Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker. Though honestly, two and three. Feel free yeah. to switch either yeah, one of yeah. them. I think it's going to be hard for anybody on the Suns to win finals MVP after game one, after the way Chris Paul played. Yeah. He's going to have the most narrative uh, heat behind him. But I think there's nine voters. Maybe they'll split it three ways. Because, I mean, <laughs> honestly, all three of them were great last night. But, yeah. you know, I always think back to Kobe Bryant, six for 24 in a clinching game, and he still won finals MVP. They want to give it to Chris Paul. And yeah. honestly, he yeah. deserves it. Uh, and we'll see how the rest of the series plays out. But after one night, CP3 is the guy. Yeah. Look, who, that, that, Chris Paul, that Chris Paul jumper can come and go. That's the thing. He's, totally. not, he's not Crowder streaky, but he never missed a jumper versus the Nuggets in that series. Like he, it felt like it. I think he shot 67% from mid-range against, against those four, in those four games against Denver. But then the first three games, right, against the Clippers, Lee? I yeah. mean... He went ice cold. He, he was not hitting them. With 19 the for 60. That he usually did. Yeah. Yeah. So there it is. So, yeah. but, you know, obviously then he finishes that that series with an unbelievable game six where he can't miss. And then he keeps it going here in game one. But, you know, I mean, look, I guess I'm getting at maybe, maybe you continue to play it the way you did and you just hope Chris Paul can't hit those. I mean, God. He's It'd be sort of, tough. Yeah. But you figure one game he's going to probably yeah. not, not just drain them with that consistency. And it'll probably be in Milwaukee for game three or four. Four, you know, that's what you're hoping for if you're the Bucks. But really, the big question is who's going to get the Hubie Brown uh, Finals MVP vote after game one? I'm probably Ooh. saying campaign, I think. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you know, because you know Hubie loves those guys who just come out there and work hard like that. He's the, he likes to swerve a little. So, uh. Oh, I think DeAndre Ayton would be the Hubie Brown Yes, mm, Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's taking Hubie back to the days when a big man matter and this guy's like flirting with big beefs and like running the floor and doing Looks all like Michael Cage out there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yes. Okay, we'll keep this going throughout the finals. Who would Hubie Brown, or who will Hubie Brown be voting for for the NBA Finals MVP? (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's Chris Paul, too. Maybe we're overthinking it. Uh, All right, so I'm with you on the rankings right now, TK. Uh, Chris Paul won 8-2, and and I think Booker, uh, sort of a distant third, actually, after those two guys. Though he played a fine game. He just... Yeah, yeah, just 27 and 6, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is scary. I mean, that is scary for the Bucs. Like, He's going to have, like we said, a couple 30-point games in this series. I just don't see how he doesn't because uh, guy's a bucket. That's what it is. Did he, win, right. that, did he win that prop bet? Prop, prop, no, prop he didn't. Bet? So he had 20. What did he finish with, 26? 27 and 27. 6. 27. And it was 28 and a half. And he had, mm-hmm. uh, he had like 27 with like six minutes to go, five minutes to go. And, and uh, he took one. He didn't. Well, he wasn't involved in a lot of the action, actually. It was obviously Chris Paul orchestrating a bunch of it. But uh, he took a three. That would have done it and sort of clanked it, if I remember correctly. Mine was yeah. combined uh, points and yeah. assists, 32 and a half 
33 combined. So you got it. Yeah, 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 one catch. Well done. He was he was playmaking, man. They, he, again, I said that earlier. He he's really he's not bad at it. They're like you sort of just think I, I don't know. Maybe I'm still even stuck in this eye. Like he all oh, he's he's got blinders on. He's score 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 score. He'll kick it to a corner man in stride. Like he finds this guy. So anyway, great game from him. Despite not hitting a bunch of threes, and he will have some thirties uh, in this series. I think that's a that's a lock. All right. I think hold on one prop, uh, an amazing prop. Since we love our man Cam Stewart, I guess his prop was okay. PJ Tucker four and a half points in the first quarter or something. He wrote what? Tucker five points in first quarter. Yes. Oh my god. Come on. I don't know. Awesome. I mean, that sounds crazy. Oh, awesome. No way. The line was Tucker four and a half Tucker. points. Yeah. Maybe his. Yeah, it was probably it's like high. two and a half points. Probably wasn't it? No. Yeah. Well, I guess he. Hit, yeah, maybe two and a half, and he hit two baskets. Oh, that's sicko stuff, right? That's, there. that's just Cam Stewart, baby. That's how it rolls, man. That's how he eats those chicken wings, man. Make that money, Cam. PJ Tucker uh, did have incredible. a sick reverse layup in the lane in the first yep. quarter. I don't remember ever seeing PJ Tucker yep. make a layup in traffic. That was crazy. He did it, shoot another one uh, a little later on, like you mentioned, Tass. Missed that. I don't know that it, there are a lot of games this season where PJ Tucker has taken two two pointers. Can't be that many. <laughs> That's really not a lot. No, for sure. All right. Anything else from game one? We'll obviously start looking ahead to uh, game two in detail on tomorrow's show, on Thursday's show, because game two tips tomorrow night. Anything else to add, gentlemen? Okay, let's take a break and then we'll get to the up-down report. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Back with No Dunks, right into the up-down report. Preparing your tubies. It's the up-down report. All right, first one. Alice Cooper, she was not. But we got quite the rendition of the U.S. National Anthem last night. So, J.D., I want you to get us started. Up or down on Judith Hill's. Game one, national anthem. I mean, I'm up. I, I thought it was <laughs> great. I thought it was perfect. I'm going to give it the old chef's kiss. Oh, wow. <laughs> because I don't know if it was just, uh, you know, everybody's still a buzz from 4th of July or, you know, game one, NBA finals, national TV. And normally I'm with Lee. I don't love the anthem before games in mm-hmm. general. Like I don't, I don't think it has to happen every single time. Elise talked about this at length, and I agree with him. But you know, it was appropriate. And Judith Hill, I, I actually found it kind of stirring in a way, just because mm. I, full arena. Uh, it was the first anthem I've seen at a sporting event since. I mean, since the since last last year, I guess in the bubble. Um, so it was, uh, it was great. I thought, and, uh, you know, as far as her performance, I thought it was awesome. Like it was short, which I liked. It was, 
disciplined, not too many. I wouldn't call them runs, you know, vocal mm. runs. I would call them more flourishes, which yes. I mm. I enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> and then to add to that, the it was beautifully shot. Like the arena <laughs> looked great. I love the stage area. You know, I hope they keep that Uh, just being I I like not seeing them on the the court. I don't Mm. know why. Like, I just think it I think it looks better. It's more official. It's more more commanding. Not that her performance needed to be more commanding. It was like those first few bars of of the anthem. I feel like you could hear a pin drop in the place. Right. And then she Mm -hmm. hits the bridge or the chorus or whatever. And the place goes nuts and. It was awesome. And, it, you know, the shots of the players on the court with that eight, the quote unquote 8K camera looked awesome. It was just great. I loved it. I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed the, the <laughs> anthem. <laughs> the anthem guy, right? Yeah. So for those that don't know, Judith Hill was uh, featured in the Michael Jackson documentary this is it uh she mm-hmm. she was a singer at the memorial service she did uh, heal the world she was also featured in the documentary 20 feet from stardom about backup singers uh, because of that link and lee did you know this she was a contestant on season four of the voice only because i googled her uh, oh, okay. and, and read about I it but maybe no you'd seen that no season. no i okay. didn't but uh i i agree with jd i thought that was one of the anthems that was actually done really well I think too it was shot well, JD. I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Whoever's, whoever's producing this is uh, doing a pretty good job here, uh, or directing. You know, it's all sort of the combined teamwork there. But yeah, they nailed it. They knocked it out of the park. Now we just don't need it for every game. Okay, we've got one really good anthem. If it goes seven, just maybe play it again. Just why not? Why not? We saw down at the fortress when they did the half court shot with the fan. They pre-recorded that. You've got a great anthem now. Just replay that one. <laughs> if it goes game seven, we we can have another anthem. We just don't need it for every. We don't need it again in forty-eight. Or it's not even forty-eight. It's like thirty-six hours time from right. now. So, uh, right. but yeah, really good job. So uh, she put on a, a fantastic uh, performance there. I mean, whoever's got who's a, who's ever doing it for game two or beyond. Yeah, I'm mm. shitting my pants right exactly. now. Like, mm. I would not want to follow that. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, that would be a tough act to follow, no doubt. Tass, uh, Trey, thumbs up, I'm assuming, on the performance? Well, I'm just happy for JD, the first basketball game he tunes into since the bubble, <laughs> and he gets a performance <laughs> like that. Hang on, uh, you, were, I, I, you were at the Fortress for a game, though, JD. Oh, where, yeah, where he you was. For the anthem for that he one? Was. You must have uh, that. I was standing respectfully yeah. with mm. my hat in over my heart. Yeah. I can't remember who sang it, though. Yeah. Uh, Good I was there for... Uh, uh, was did Music Soul Child sing? He sang one of the anthems. I think so. I can't remember which game it was. I was, I was there for one of them. But I, I, I'm with I'm with you, JD, in that you know last year the bubble changed things and we uh, got to have the referees talk to us through the microphone. That that little change just carried over to this season. You're talking about the stage because generally the rule is the COVID rule is I believe in each arena you can't have them have like halftime performances or in. Right arena performances on the floor so maybe this does stay i will say though like some of the arenas that don't have these 8k cameras sometimes it looks horrendous Uh, maybe maybe it's because the nba finals they you know they've the the cameras look amazing but sometimes it looks like we're back at ryerson university (laughs) and it looks like a it looks like a student production at times like the lighting isn't good yeah Uh, so they they've got to improve that big time but yeah some of the things are awesome like we go down to uh, State Farm Arena, and it, they've got the the in quarter entertainment. They've got 
whether it's, you know, big boy or somebody hanging with the crowd, like they're literally in the crowd because they can't be on the floor. And that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of that stuff is so, so cool. So, yeah, some of that, I'd love to see that stick for sure. Trey, thumbs up, thumbs down. Good thumbs singing. Up. Good singing out there. <laughs> Were you emotional? Did no. you stand at home? No, no you didn't no, stand No, home. but oh, I saw it. Oh. Uh, basketball's a game of runs. The anthem is a game of flourishes. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> All right, Good next one here. Uh, NBA commissioner Adam Silver said Tuesday, it's the league's expectation that the play-in tournament used to determine the seventh and eighth seeds in each conference this season uh, will continue in 2021-22. Yeah, next season. So... We've talked about this a little bit before, but Lee, up or down on keeping the play-in tournament? Double thumbs up from me. Why not? Why wouldn't they keep it? I think it's been a resounding success in the two seasons that we've seen it so far. Not only, I think, of the games, we had that incredible Lakers-Warriors game in, uh, in the Western Conference this season, but I think in terms of keeping the interest and excitement alive for those teams battling to make the playoffs, we saw a great run here from the Washington Wizards at the end of the season. Here They got into that play-in tournament and then went on to uh, make the playoffs. So I think there's no reason why the NBA would possibly turn away from something like this that has, I believe... Uh, been extremely successful and worked as planned in both aspects as far as... Now, look, we did get a couple of stinkers from the Indiana Pacers and the Hornets. Okay, fine. We're not going to get every single game that is a playing game come down to the wire. But overall, I think it, it's working by uh, both both parts, keeping interest for the for the season and then uh, then the intrigue as to who, which team will sneak in to the playoffs. And, uh, and at some point, some team's going to go on that run, they're going to get into the playing tournament and they're going to upset one of the uh, higher-seeded teams. So there's no reason for me to think they would turn away from this right now. You agree, Tass? Yeah, I, I think for the first season in a long time, there wasn't a lot of talk about tanking during the, the entire season. Now, OKC were the tankers that the took all the tanking talk. But I think at the beginning of last season, there was enough incentive for 29 teams to be going for those 20 playoff spots, call it whatever you want, but there's 20 spots. I don't think any team outside OKC was tanking at the beginning of the season. Uh, so that's... that. A big positive for the league. I mean, one of the black marks that we've always talked about is they got to get some way, somehow to incentivize enough teams uh, to not tank. So, yeah, I think that part of it is huge. Plus, we got, yeah, the, the couple weeks of basketball there. Now, I don't know. There could be some tweaks, shorten the season a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. do we have to see 82 games? No. For, no, probably not for a little... Uh, elimination game to you know you play 82 games to get bopped out by in one game it's baseball-esque uh i i think we could shorten it a bit but uh, yeah overall great great start maybe a couple tweaks trey double thumbs up i'm just like lee here i thought it was awesome and the crazy thing about the play-in tournament is yeah there's the tournament at the end which like you're saying lee we had a dud from the pacers we had a dud from the hornets On the flip side, we got LeBron versus Steph. Got that crazy shot from LeBron almost at half court. Lost to the ether forever, but we remember it because we were there. But the other thing about it, the games at the end, they obviously matter, but it makes... The tournament is really like the last month of the season, right? Like, that's the thing. The race for it and keeping everybody involved is so huge that... At the end of it, yeah, you got to see who actually pulls out the wins in in the tournament to see who makes the playoffs, but... Just having that stretch down at the end is giving, you know, young teams who don't really have anything to play for. It's giving them 
games that actually matter. It's putting them in almost a playoff uh, sort of atmosphere where every single win matters. You got to perform every single night. It's good for the competition in the league, and it's good for us to have stuff to talk about because, mm-hmm. like Tess is saying, there are teams that were tanking down the stretch, right? But we didn't care at all. It's like, Houston, see you later. Nobody cares if you're losing a bunch of games. You traded your best player. That was the point. The Thunder sat down there, guys. Nobody cared. That was the point. Even the Raptors, they tanked to get out of the play-in tournament. Nobody cares because we actually have things that matter. When half the league gives up, that's a problem. When only five teams gives up, that's okay. Yeah. I see the stream team generally thumbs up on this, continuing the play-in tournament, but a lot of people say, hey, let's just not go overboard and have also a mid-season tournament. Because remember, Lee, Silver had talked about that. He wanted that whole like soccer angle, football angle of like, oh, maybe we have another tournament you know, halfway through the season. Uh, now, I don't think he said anything about that last night in the press conference, but yeah. do, you, do, you, do you agree with like, okay, let's just, let's just roll with this. If we can shorten the season, I, I don't think he's going to do that. I think we're going to go back to 82 here. Um, so maybe that has an impact on this uh, play-in tournament. Who knows? We'll see. But do you want a midseason tournament as well, or are you good with just the play-in at the end of the season to determine the seventh and eighth seeds? Look, Adam Silver wanted the play-in tournament, and he got it. He wants this extra sort of soccer-style tournament. I think it is just a matter of time before we get it. I think whether it only lasts a season or two or three, maybe, I think it is going to happen, and I think it is going to be a bit of a compromise. It's like to the, to the owners. You're not going to lose out on your money, per se, by cutting down the home and away games, the regular season games from 82 to a figure, let's say 75 or something like that. In exchange, we're going to give you this mid-season tournament that's going to have incentives that make it worth your while to try to compete and to win this, whether that's draft picks, whether that's some other form of you know, priority uh, seeding, maybe something like that in the past. I don't know exactly what it is, but I think it is just a matter. I think because of the coronavirus situation you know, for last season and this season, already those seasons being interrupted, I think it's probably delayed it by a year or two. But I think it's just a matter of uh, when that happens, not if it happens. I think, I, I think probably not next season because I think there's no international games as, as well for next season. I think Adam Silver said that yesterday. But I would be surprised if starting in the, say, 22-23 season, we don't have some sort of you know, shortened regular season at, uh, in exchange for uh, some sort of mid-season tournament. I think it's, just, it's, it's a matter of time before but, it happens. But the tournament could be a part of the regular season too. Right. Yeah, I mean, it could be. Yeah, it don't have the, to be the, one or the other. The, yeah. the, the main point I'm trying to make is you're going to play as close to 82 games, whether or not that is uh, an adjustment of the regular season or not, mm-hmm. because the owners aren't going to want to uh, miss out on that revenue. But Adam Silver has been persuasive. And, and the fact that this playing tournament has worked, I think, gives Adam Silver a lot more sort of power to be able to then present this new idea to the owners to see if that also works. So, uh, yeah, it, it's going to happen, yeah. I believe. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely more drastic, uh, some sort of mid-season tournament than what we have here with the play-in tournament, which is really just like incentivizing these teams to like still, hey, keep trying to win games and yep. try and have a chance to be the ninth or tenth seed, to have a chance to be actually in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, who knows what he has in mind even for this potential mid-season tournament? It's tough to get too worked up about it until you sort of know what the actual details are. I, I'm hesitant to think it would work all that well because it's like, what? It really, you get down to like, what would they be playing for? Like, why would they care? What does it matter? And we don't know the answers to that, if there, if any, Trey. Um, so I guess we'll just wait to see. <laughs> yeah, we shall see. Um, I would be confident though. I would think a mid-season okay. tournament would actually work because we've seen two different versions of the play-in tournament and they were both awesome. Uh, and one of the unseen 
consequences or unforeseen consequences of the play-in tournament, I think, was the race for the sixth seed as well. So yeah, if you true. throw in this mid-season tournament and you offer the players, I don't know, $10 million to split between them because... I don't really think that players care about winning a draft pick for their franchise, a player that's going to be replacing them, but a little bit of money. Nobody says no to that. You start playing for something that's seriously important in the midseason tournament. Maybe there are different rules uh, as well. You know, like, um, I don't know, soccer teams have all these different qualifiers where you can only use such and such an age limit of guys or something like that. Maybe you do something that encourages teams to build their bench all the way down to number 15 and you're playing those role players, bigger minutes in the midseason tournament, that could be exciting too. All right, let's end with some Olympics talk here. Kevin Love, he heard the blowback when he scored a spot there on the U.S. national team ahead of the Tokyo Olympics after one of the worst seasons of his career. He had a bad year, didn't play a lot. And Greg Popovich, he heard, uh, heard the blowback too, but he had a message for the haters on Tuesday. Quote, we're going to work his ass off. He's talking about Kevin Love over the next four or five weeks here and demand a lot. End quote. That was Pop talking about Kevin Love. Are you up or down, though, on Love getting one of these Team USA spots, uh, TK? Oh, I'm majorly up on this. When the rosters were first announced, Kevin Love was the guy that kind of caught my eye instantly. I said it on the first show that we recorded. I love this. He's the, this edition of Team USA's Carmelo Anthony back for the first time since 2012. He's the vet who's going to make shots and knows how to play internationally. People have forgotten that Kevin Love is good at this point, I think. He's shot 36.5% from three on this Cavs team for the past three seasons, despite the fact that he clearly doesn't want to be a Cleveland Cavalier anymore. And for me, that's why I really like this, actually, because for Kevin Love, it's an audition. Uh, He's going to show the stars. He's going to show the other coaches there, the talent evaluators who are kind of just checking out the game, seeing how people are playing, how they're blending. He's still got the game to help a contender, and I still believe in Kevin Love. He's going to be the next Blake Griffin. Get him in a better situation, and you get a better effort, and that's why this is even good for the Cleveland Cavaliers, because Kevin Love has been banged up since LeBron James left. He only played 25 games last season, and it feels like he only makes news right now for being upset with the Cleveland Cavaliers. If he has a good summer with Team USA, reminds people what he can offer. That makes it a lot easier for the Cavs to trade him. Basically, the only thing that could go wrong here is if Kevin Love somehow picks up an injury during the summer. Right. Uh, right. And obviously, that would be a disaster, but I think this is good. You know, I don't know that Kevin Love is going to be getting a ton of minutes uh, for Team USA, but I think he'll have some valuable moments out there. He'll probably hit a big three that swings the momentum at some point. All right, so TK has it as a win-win-win for the Cavs, for Love, and, and for Team USA, and Pop trying to get his first gold medal. You agree, Tess? Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's not as much space to cover for Kevin Love on the international floor. That helps. Second, yeah, he wasn't good for the Cleveland Cavaliers because he was done with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, he obviously uh, could have uh, you know, acted uh, a little bit differently in his, in his Cleveland Cavs days, um, for sure. Comported himself a little bit better. I'm sure they would have liked that. But at the same time, it is like Blake Griffin. He's going to go you know, into this environment and play with great players and show how great he is. Uh, he's, he's going to be better. Yeah, as far as his NBA career, he's going to be 33 next year. He does get banged up all the time. Of course, a team could buy in on what he's doing uh, and, and see what he's he's perform how he's performing there for the U.S. team. But it's three seasons and a monster deal left. Uh, you really got to buy in. You really got to buy in for to to pay him for thirty mil uh, for each of these three seasons. I mean, he's talented enough, obviously, uh, to get paid that much. He's earned that money throughout his NBA career. 
Um, but he does get banged up a lot. It, it, it does stink. Uh, I remember sitting, you know, with Trey, we, we were doing our Cleveland Cavs preview as soon as Kevin Love signed that contract. And we both were sort of of the opinion, like, he's got the talent to, to be a number one guy. Uh, but at the same time, if you're banged up, if you're old, if you, if you can't move that much, I mean, he, he can probably showcase himself as a small ball five in, in this U.S. Uh, tournament. And that's probably a lot of his future in the NBA. But I don't know. It'd be uh, it'd be putting a lot of stock into him if you're going to say, like, if you're the Blazers, if you can pull it off and say, yeah, he could be our four and our five, but you're just going to rely on him a ton. So hopefully he stays healthy. I mean, that's the biggest question with Kevin Love at all times. But uh, he's got the talent, obviously. He's a fun dude to watch when he's got it going. So Pop made the call to offer the spot to Love, Lily. Uh He said his ability to shoot and then be a big guy in the paint there fighting for boards could be valuable, especially when you go up against some of those... Uh, you know, older, crafty, big European squads. Uh, do, you, do you buy that? Does it make sense for Pop to reach out to Love and, and get that sort of veteranship on this team? Yeah, one thing I do know about Greg Popovich when it comes to Team USA is don't ever question anybody's uh, uh, credits or, or, or ability to perform or their, the fact that they're even on that team. Because in Australia... Uh, when the Team USA played Australia, I was at all those uh, scrums there. And a couple of times, some of the local reporters <laughs> said to Pop, like, you know, is it harder to coach this team knowing this is like a third-string USA team? And he did not like that at all. He does not like anyone sort of thinking like, oh, you haven't sent out your best players. So if, if Greg Popovich believes you are deserving to be on Team USA, then that's it. it there's no question you are deserving to be, fine, uh, to be on that spot. And Greg Popovich is going to expect you to perform as well. He's not just taking anyone out there to Tokyo for a holiday. He's going out there to win a gold medal and so if he feels Kevin Love can contribute whether you know it's not going to play a ton of minutes I don't think but again a big guy who can spread the floor and grab those rebounds and he's got those great outlet passes as well that's a part of the uh, sort of international game so he's going to be expected to perform but just don't uh, don't go to Popovich and say you know wasn't there someone better? You know are you disappointed are you disappointed someone sort of turned down an invitation or something like that he hates that. Yeah, he left Bam Adebayo off the 2019 FIBA World Cup team and decided to roll with Miles Turner, Mason yeah. Plumley, and another big guy who I forget, Brooke Lopez. So mm. I don't know if Greg Popovich is 100% right on his calls here, but he's going to be right on Kevin Love. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to Tweet of the Night. Mm, tweet of the Night. Wow. Twitter. What do you got, Lee? Yeah, well, uh, speaking of Olympics, got some breaking news out of Australia this morning uh, when it was revealed that Paddy Mills, who is making his fourth Olympics, is going to be the flag bearer, the co-flag bearer for Australia, mm-hmm. along with female swimmer Kate Campbell. So uh, I'm very, very excited for Paddy Mills. I think he's fully deserving. He becomes the first Indigenous Australian to carry the flag at an Olympics uh, Games opening ceremony. So... Paddy Mills uh, has been a fantastic uh, an Olympian for Australia. I would love it. This is likely to be his last Olympics too. I would love it if he could close out with any medal. Any medal will do. Australia's never medaled at the Olympics. We've been very, very close. Australian men have never medaled at the Olympics. Australian women have medaled several times. Uh, but I would love it if Paddy could go out there, you know, and... and Finally secure a medal for Australia. It'd be great. And Kate Campbell, two-time Olympian gold medals as well. Uh, Fantastic for her to also be the uh, co-bearer of the Australian flag. So exciting news from Australia. You said this is Paddy Mills' fourth Olympic Games. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. He feels like forever young to me, Paddy Mills. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Right? Like, I just don't think of him as an older guy. His uh, his career started, I think, 2008 with the Blazers. So uh, he's a 13-year NBA veteran there. Uh, Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, congrats to him. Uh, awesome stuff. I saw that going around. I was I was excited as well for that, Lee. I love a good uh, flag bearer. I think, <laughs> I think Paddy Mills finished like third in scoring at the last Olympics, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. He, he, he lifts his game for the Olympics. So uh, Sheba yeah. Paddy is real. Yeah. He loves that molten ball. Who's getting a call? Somebody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is it me? No. Like, I think, somebody, me. I think somebody's calling Laura on her phone, but it's coming through on her iPad, which I'm seeing mm. is across oh, the weird. way over always there. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I'm looking at my phone. I know it's in my room, but uh, this thing ain't popping off. So mm. I don't know. Maybe I got to go check in on something. I don't really think so. I'd rather talk about the Olympics with my friends. Are the <laughs> is the Australian team looking good for a medal? Uh, come the Olympics, I know there's a lot of new teams uh, making it to the Olympics for their first time. Like it's Slovenia's first time. Germany hasn't been there in forever. So the Aussies are at least a well-established team in the mix. Yeah. Well, so in the past, guys like Aaron Baines and Andrew Bogut have played incredibly well. In fact, Andrew Bogut played so well at the last Olympics in Rio. I think that's why he got a contract with the Dallas Mavericks after that, because he uh, he was so impressive. So uh, Delhi steps up, you know, we've got those battles out there. I don't believe um, Josh Giddy, the uh, the draft prospect, is going to play. I think he has been, he didn't make the final cut, but Josh Green, the Dallas Maverick, he should be playing there. Ben Simmons, of course, he's uh, working on his game there, smooching his girlfriend at Wimbledon, <laughs> so he can't uh, make the Olympics. So, uh, look, Australia. Uh, Brian Gorgian, I believe, is the coach again as well. He's been uh, an Australian basketball coaching legend, second probably only to Lindsay Gaze as far as uh, coaching victories in the Australian game. So I always feel that Australia just steps up at the Olympics uh, and the World Championships. So, Oh, man, can we sneak in? We're probably going to finish fourth. We always finish fourth. We always... always, uh, Like, last time we beat Serbia, I believe, who then went on to finish second to the USA. We beat Serbia in that first game. We beat France in that first round. Then we we lost to Spain on free throws. Oh, my God, it was crazy. Do you have an Australian jersey? (laughs) Not a basketball jersey. I've got a soccer jersey that I wear around. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got a basketball jersey. You know what? I think I will. I think this is the year. This is the year. You should get Patty. Yeah, I should. You're right. You're right. I should get Patty. 
All right. Congrats to Patty Mills. Uh, and uh, that's, that's pretty awesome news. Let's call it there, boys. Uh, back tomorrow to set up game two uh, of the NBA Finals on Thursday night. So join us here live at 10 a.m. Eastern on YouTube. Shout out to the stream team. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Keep your questions coming for the Beach Steppin' Podcast. Email them in, no dunks at theathletic.com. Go get yourself an athletic subscription, theathletic.com slash no dunks. There is a fantastic article up on the king of NBA Twitter, Josiah Johnson, uh, up right now from uh, David Ubin. So go check that out. Get yourself an athletic subscription so you can read that one. Uh, It's fantastic stuff. I was reading it this morning. And that's about it. We will see you guys tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Live. Clipper Bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember, I've got a question for you, NBA sickos. I don't know what tampering is in the NBA anymore. Like LeBron posts this yesterday. As soon as Chris Paul wins, <laughs> one down, three to go, CP3. Is yeah. that tampering or is that just cheering on a fellow NBA player and being a friend? It's his buddy, I, man. He's just Potential free friend. agent. Yeah, yeah I know. Ooh. You're right. You know what? You're right. You're right. Family, friends. That's great. That's <laughs> great. It's is just... everything, man. Yeah, family is everything. Can't wait uh, for the Fast and Friends podcast. Fast oh, Friends? Oh, yeah. About a month out from the debut of oh, God. Fast Friends we're going with. That's right. Yeah. We were Fast and Furious and us. Yeah. Bit of a mouthful, if we're being honest. I think it looks better than it yeah. than it to say it out loud is. Uh, mm-hmm. Fast friends, keeping it simple. It's quick off the tongue for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so anyway, that's coming in a month or so. But we'll cool. <laughs> we'll talk we'll talk about Fast and Furious when we get there. We still got basketball to talk about. Embrace the day, people.